certainly appreciate Brother Jonathan being here with us and also the words that he's brought before us. Uh, forgiveness is certainly a very vital um, act that we, I believe, must do. Obviously, we don't always uh, do so. And at the end of the day, as he's pointed out, we are the ones that suffer the most when we fail. We all know folks that hold grudges, and we see that that's a root of bitterness that takes over their lives and takes over their emotions, their thinking. Um, and sometimes you can just mention something, and it's clear that all that just comes roaring back. And it's amazing, though, the peace that a person has when they just commend that to God and let God take care of matters that um, belong to him. This morning, I'd like to turn your attention back to 1 Samuel chapter 18. I want to look back again at David's life, 1 Samuel 18. Two weeks ago, we tried to look at the first portion of this chapter and the friendship that began between David and Jonathan and how this friendship was an amazing blessing throughout the life of David up until the death of Jonathan but then that friendship, of course, and the covenant that was made between them would go on to be a great blessing to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, in which we see a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in the type of David, and then, of course, Mephibosheth being a type of you and me, and how he was lame on his feet, but yet the king's table covered that lameness. And all of that started because Jonathan, even though he's the king's son, was a man that could see the honor, the integrity, the character, and the boldness of David. And he did not allow the hatred that his father would have towards David to enter his heart. And it's amazing as you read 1 Samuel and all the things that unfold in the life of David, how that Jonathan could continue to withstand all the pressure that would come against him by his father. But never did he succumb to that. He was a faithful friend all the way to his dying breath. And as we tried to point out, thankfully, you and I, we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ that will never, ever desert us. And while that is true, sadly, we, I think most of us, maybe all, have experienced some Saul's in our lives. It's interesting as you read the tactics of Saul, how much they mirror Satan himself. Saul will attack David in multiple ways. He doesn't just use one form and keep using the same form. Now, he'll use the same thing multiple times, but Saul will change tactics along the way in his attempts to destroy David. And Satan does the same for you and me against you and me, not for us, but against us. He will change up tactics. You know, the Apostle Paul tells us that we're not ignorant of his devices, and the reason we're not ignorant of his devices is we can read the Word of God and see how it is that he behaves. We find the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're to put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that we can withstand the wiles. That word wile in the Greek means the methods of the devil. He has certain methods that he uses. And he has perfected them through the ages. Uh, he has learned what works. He learns what doesn't work. And what won't work for you may work for another. But he knows what works for you. He knows what works for me. That's why the apostle says we're to lay aside, Hebrews chapter 12, every sin 
and the weight that doth so easily beset us. Lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Why? Because Paul knows the devil will use that sin that easily besets us, turns us away, and tempt us to try to do that very thing. He knows yours. He knows mine. Um, the devil works in many forms. Sometimes it's through the telephone. Sometimes it's through email. Nowadays, text messages. Uh, he can come frontal assault right here in the form of a person coming against you unjustly. Uh, there's many ways in which Satan works. He can work through the television. Uh, he can work through the movie theater. There's just so many ways and avenues in which the devil attacks you and I. But here in 1 Samuel chapter 18, picture yourself, if you could, in a moment in David's place. You've been a champion for Israel. You've honored the king. You've given your life and service to the king. You've done everything that's been required and requested of you and more. You go to battle for the king. You're loved of the king's son, loved of the king's servants. You've done nothing wrong at all. Nothing to offend the king, nothing to bring his anger against you. Just ima imagine if the president of the United States enlisted you to uh, work in his behalf and you did the job, whatever it was, almost to perfection. You did it to completion. You did it in every way that could be pleasing to the president. But then all of a sudden, you get credit for the work that you've done and this man or woman who's in office wants to uh, destroy you because you've done well. That's exactly where David is. David has been faithful. David has done well. He's done nothing wrong against the king whatsoever. And yet the king still wants to destroy his life. As we saw last week, the first verses of 1 Samuel 18 or two weeks ago, uh, we find the beautiful love and connection between David and Jonathan. But then as we read from verse 5, through verse 9, we find the hatred of Saul toward David. So it says in verse 9, Saul eyed David from that day and forward. That means he was looking for an occasion at any moment. Every day he was looking for an opportunity to destroy this man. How would you want to live in such a way? Well, we do. Whether we recognize it or not, we live every day with an enemy that's trying to destroy us. And a lot of times we're ignorant, uh, we're not paying attention to the enemy who is always trying to destroy us. That's why the Apostle Peter would tell us that we're to be sober, we're to be vigilant. Why? Because we have an adversary, uh, he's the devil, and he is as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He's always looking for an occasion against you. He is eyeing you every moment of every day. As David was uh, going about innocently in the palace, not recognizing right now at least that Saul was eyeing him for his destruction, so is our life as well, Satan is constantly eyeing you looking for a way to destroy you and we recognize that he's under the sovereign power of God uh, we recognize in the life for instance of Job he could only do so much to Job but what he could do was still disastrous was it not we think about what he could do to Job. He took his wealth he took his reputation he took his family and then he took his health uh, don't scoff at the power that Satan possesses He's called the prince of this world. He's called the prince of the power of the air. That sounds like a very mighty individual, does it not? We need to keep in mind, he is our enemy. He's our adversary. He is always looking for an occasion to destroy us. 
And if one tactic doesn't work today, that same tactic may work tomorrow. But if that doesn't work, he'll switch up and he'll find a different way. And that's why Peter says we're to be sober, we're to be vigilant. But then he also says we're to cast all our care upon him, speaking of the Lord, for he careth for you. You know why it is that you and I are to cast our care upon him? Because we've got a weight that we need the Lord to carry so that we can pay attention to the adversary who's constantly seeking our destruction. Now, I believe he knows that he cannot destroy us eternally. I believe he recognizes that he cannot take us from the hand of God. I think he knows Romans chapter 8 where it says, If God be for us, who can be against us? He knows the word of God. Uh, Sadly, he knows it better than some Christians do. Uh, He knows what it says. He recognizes that uh, the Apostle Paul said through the power of the Spirit of God in Romans chapter 8 that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities uh, shall separate us from the love of God. He knows he cannot do that, but he also knows that he can separate us from the joy of the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, He can destroy our peace and our comfort and our hope in this world, and he will if we allow it. So here is David innocently going about uh, in the king's palace as a servant of the king, not recognizing that Saul is eyeing him from that day and forward. Then it says it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house and David played with his hand as at other times. Why? Because here's Saul troubled. So what does David do? What David always did. He plays for King Saul so that his spirit would be calmed. And it says he played with his hand as at other times and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And notice this, and David avoided out of his presence twice. So Saul does this twice. Now you're going to find he does it a third time later. Now, you remember the Lord taught us in the fifth chapter of Matthew that if somebody smites us on the cheek, we're to turn the other. And I, it, that's hard to employ, by the way. I, and I know that. If somebody were to hit me uh, on my right cheek, I don't know that I would, I'd probably come up swinging, just to be honest. I would hope that I would do what the Lord says, but I'm just, I happen to be a, a a West Texan that's stubborn and I don't want the end. So anyway, but the Lord has taught us. So David apparently is following what the Lord commands. Saul takes the javelin and throws it at David. David steps out of the way, avoids out of his presence. And then Saul does it again. So David, on one hand, you think, well, what a fool, David. Why would you keep putting yourself in this position? Because David is trying to honor the king. David is doing what is right in the sight of God by honoring God's anointed. All throughout the life of Saul, what does David keep referring to Saul as? The Lord's anointed. Uh, He will always recognize uh, Saul as the anointed of God. Uh, Well, David, weren't you anointed by Samuel? Yes, he was. But he says, I'm going to let God take Saul out of the way. I'm not going to be guilty of reaching forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. So may say, well, there's a case that could be argued that certainly the Lord's departed from Saul, so he's not the Lord's anointed anymore. And David had every right as the anointed by Samuel, the anointed by God, uh, to slay Saul and to take over the throne. Maybe so. 
But do you think that Jonathan would have honored David in such a way? Do you think that the kingdom would have come together as it would later come together and unify under David? No, it would have brought a lot of hardship and heartache all throughout the life of King David. So instead, what does David do? He trusts the Lord to take care of his enemy. And that's why it's important for you and I not to engage with Satan. Now the Bible tells us that we're to resist him steadfast in the faith. The Bible says if we will just, uh, having done all, Ephesians 6, to stand. That's all the Bible requires of you and I is simply to stand fast, to hold firm, to give no ground to Satan. Uh, to pay attention to what he's doing, not to be ignorant of his devices, to recognize he uses many different methods, uh, to recognize that he walks about looking at us, uh, uh, watching for our weak moments and weak spots so that he might devour us. We're to pay attention to all of those things, and all you have to do is resist him steadfast in the faith. All you have to do to uh, keep the devil at bay, resist the devil and he will flee. But he'll come back. He will not leave you alone. Revelation 12 says he's the accuser of our brethren. I hate him. I really do. I hate what he does. I hate what he represents. I hate who he is. But you know, I don't want to go to toe, I don't want to go toe to toe with him. I know that he'll devour me if I'm not careful. That's what Peter says. He walks about seeking whom he may devour. That means he could devour me if I'm not careful. So I don't want to meet him on his ground. I don't want to use his methods. I want to use the Lord's methods. How did the Lord Jesus Christ withstand the devil? He used the word of God. He knew the word of God and he used the word of God. And that's what you and I are to do. That's why it says we're to resist him steadfast in the faith. What does the faith there mean? It means the body of the word of God. It means we're to take the word of God and use it for our defense. It's called the sword of the spirit for a reason. Because we're able to use it not only as a defensive weapon, but also we can go on the offense when Satan is actively at work in our lives. Anyway, here is David. He just flees out of um, Saul's presence twice, which was the wise thing to do. Don't meet the king here on his own terms. I mean, how would it appear, number one, if this servant comes against the king with a javelin. Number one, the king's servants would probably rise up against David. So David, he just avoids out of his presence twice. But notice verse 12, it says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. It says, therefore, Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. Now, do you think that uh, King Saul is making David a captain because he wants to honor him? I don't believe that's what Saul is doing here. I think Saul is doing to David what David would later do to Uriah. He is putting him in charge of soldiers, and David is a brave man. Do you think that David is going to do like the generals of our military today and stand at the very back of the army and let the soldiers fight? No, he's going to be like generals or captains were in that day. He's going to be out at the head of the army. And so Saul's hope by making him a captain is that out here in the field, the Philistines will destroy him. So now he's tried to uh, come at him with a frontal assault by twice throwing a javelin at him. That didn't work. David uh, got out of the way, and the Lord was with David, and that made Saul afraid. So here's what he does. He thinks to himself, I'll make him a captain. He'll go out to battle, and he's such a brave man. We saw what he did to Goliath, and so while he's out there, certainly the Philistines, they're going to slay him. And it says, David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord 
was with him. So we find that again and again, Saul is going to be foiled. His attempts are not going to work. Why? Because number one, David behaves himself wisely. But also because the Lord is going to be with David. It says, wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. Notice Saul, twice it says he's afraid of David. Why? One, because the Lord is with him. Two, because he behaves himself wisely. Saul recognizes this foe that I have, number one, has God on his side, but he's also a wise individual. You know, I've seen people that the Lord obviously loved them, but they were fools, and so they destroyed themselves. I have seen wise people that the Lord wasn't with, and they were destroyed. But when you combine the strength of the Lord and wisdom uh, that comes from God, that are, those are two mighty tools that join together uh, work for the defense of the child of God. And you and I have uh, both of those at our disposal. Uh, the Lord is with us, is he not? What is his name called in Matthew chapter 1? Emmanuel, which is God with us. And then James tells us, if any man lack wisdom, do you ever lack wisdom? I certainly do. Uh, there's a lot of times that I don't know which way to go. I don't understand what's going on. Uh, I need the help of God. I need the wisdom and strength of God. And so James tells me, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Uh, that just simply means that when you ask God uh, in a godly way for godly wisdom, you know what God is going to do? He's going to grant it to you. Look, notice, liberally. <laughs> not uh, just dole out a little here and a little there. He says he gives it to all men liberally and upbraideth not. That means he'll never upbraid or get on to you for asking for his wisdom. So we have his presence. Why? Because he's Emmanuel God with us. The Bible also says he's Christ in us. The hope of glory. So we have God with us, Christ in us. And we also have access to the wisdom of God. So here is Saul. He's afraid of David because the Lord is with him. And he's afraid of David because David behaves himself very wisely. You know what? I want Satan to be afraid of me. I don't want to stand in fear of him. But you know how that will work? By number one, having the Lord on my side. How do I have the Lord on my side? By doing what the Lord wants me to do. By walking with the Lord. By following the dictates of his word. By following his instruction and his commandments. And then also seeking out his wisdom. You know what Satan sees when he sees somebody that walks closely with the Lord and applies the wisdom of God's word? He sees a very hard target. And he's probably going to move on to somebody else. Now he'll come back, but he'll move on to somebody else. And you know what? It's somebody else's responsibility to walk close with the Lord and to behave themselves wisely. And as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to circle around one another and encourage and strengthen one another and try to be there uh, for one another. But at the end of the day, I'm responsible ultimately for myself. I can't make you uh, walk in such a way so that the Lord will walk with you. I can't make you behave yourself wisely. But I can look to my own behavior. And I can behave wisely. And I can walk in such a way that the Lord will walk with me. And hopefully by doing so, the souls of this world will be fearful. But do you think that the fear that Saul has of David is enough to stop him? It's not. If anything, it only pushes him on more so. And that's why when the Lord Jesus Christ withstood the devil, the Bible says that he departed for a season. He, he got discouraged, a little disheartened there. So Satan goes, but this is the attitude of Satan. Well, 
it's almost, well, that's a challenge, okay? That one, I couldn't get that time, so I've got to come back another time. He is so delusional in his thinking that he actually thought that he could conquer the Lord Jesus Christ who made him. Now, it's true the Bible says he's the prince of the power of the air. He's the prince of this world. But what did Jesus say about the prince of the world? He says, now is the prince of this world cast out. Uh, Jesus had enough power that, remember those devils in that man, uh, the, the wild gutter in? Uh, when Jesus said, what is your name? They said, our name is Legion, for we're many. And what did they ask Jesus? Hast thou come to torment us before the time? <laughs> they understood the sovereign power of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what they're saying? It's not the last day yet. It's not the time for you to send us under the lake of fire. Uh, you're, you're ahead of schedule. See, they understand that their end is the lake of fire. The Bible tells us that when Jesus Christ comes back that the devil and his angels and hell and the wicked shall be cast into the lake of fire and there shall be burning and torment forever and ever. Anyway, Satan knows that, but yet he's such a fool. He's, he, he's so smart in some ways, but such a fool in others. He thought he could come against Jesus. Jesus withstood him simply quoting the word of God. What I find amazing about Matthew 4 Jesus physically was at his weakest prior to the cross. How do I know that? Because he'd gone 40 days without anything to eat. I mean, I, I don't hardly like going four hours. Uh, but imagine 40 days. I've gone about two with nothing to eat. <clears throat> That's about my limit. <laughs> and I'm normally not the most enjoyable to be around if I've gone a few hours, much less a few days with nothing to eat. But here's Jesus in his weakest state physically before the cross. Before the, and so Jesus, Satan comes. Why? He thinks Jesus is weak. He can handle him. What does Jesus do three times? Quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. <clears throat> First, we find Satan tells him, tell these stones to be made into bread. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, says, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then he carries him up to the temple, shows him that. Then he carries him up into the mountains and shows him all the things of this world. He said, if you'll just bow down and worship me. And the Lord Jesus Christ once again quotes from the book of Deuteronomy and makes it very clear that none is to be worshipped but God. And so he would not bow down to Satan. And so Satan departed for a season. Uh, Satan would come back in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And many times, you know how he came? In the form of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the legalists of that time. Uh, they would come doing what? Trying to uh, tempt Jesus in his words. And then he would mount his greatest offense against the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. You know, there are many times I've sat back and pondered about the event of Calvary and what must have been going through Satan's mind as the Lord Jesus Christ when he said, If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. So there he is suspended for uh, six hours between heaven and earth. What did Satan think in those moments? I kind of think he thought, I've got him. I've got him now. Until John 19... When Jesus says, it is finished. I think Satan knew in that moment, my best attempt, it fell short. And now I'm on borrowed time. I'm on limited time. But you know what? The Bible tells you and I to redeem the time for the days are evil. Satan doesn't waste time. You and I, we waste time. He doesn't waste time. He's very active and very busy in this world. If you don't believe it, Turn on the news this evening. 
You'll read about, we either watch, I quit watching news, I read news. Um, I, I just, I don't want to, I don't like to see it anymore. I just read, every day I read quite a bit of news, but I just, I just don't want to see it. I know what's going on in the world enough to keep up and enough to pray, but I'm just not inundated with that stuff. But when you turn on the news or you read the news, you're going to find that Satan, he's, he's very active. He's not wasting any time. He's in all of our cities. He's in the country. <laughs> he's in my house. He's in your house. I guarantee you he's right here in this house this morning. We sure did because he's just constant. And now he's not omnipresent like the Lord. Let's make that clear. But here's the thing. He's got a lot of ministers that work for him. And sometimes we're his ministers. Sometimes we don't realize that we're working as, uh, as agents of the devil. When we're doing contrary to the word of God, that's basically who we're working for. Because you and I, we're either servants of the Lord or we're servants of him. And so we've got to be careful. Anyway, David behaves himself wisely. And so Saul was afraid of him. But instead of stopping, all he does is try to attack more. It says, all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. It says in verse 17, And Saul said to David, Behold, my elder daughter, Merib, her will I give thee to wife, only be thou valiant for me, and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, Let not mine hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. So now we know the mind of Saul. Saul is saying, I don't want to strike him down. Let the Philistines do it. Let me farm out my dirty work to somebody else. I'll contract it out to somebody else. And you know what, there's been times that I've encountered that in my life, that uh, Satan had contracted it out to somebody else. And I've seen even, I've had attacks against me that wasn't by the true offended party or the true party that wanted to cause me damage, but they got other folks worked up and used them against me. And so then I had to discern, well, who's the true enemy here? Uh, who's the one that's really uh, coming against me? Who do I need to pray for that Jesus told me to pray for in Matthew chapter 5? Anyway, so Saul says to David, you take my elder daughter. Well, wait a minute. There's a problem here to start with. Because back in 1 Samuel 17, what did Saul say he would give to the individual that slew Goliath? Number one, uh, he would be uh, made a wealthy individual. His father's house would be free. He wouldn't have to pay taxes. And he would give him his daughter. Well, why isn't David already married uh, to the daughter? Because Saul has not lived up to what Saul promised. Uh, Saul has not done what Saul said he would do. So now he says to David, behold, I will give you Mirab. Now her name means increase. That sounds pretty good. But Michael, or Michal, however it's pronounced, her name means like God. So if you had the choice, who would you marry? One that means increase or one that increase of what? That's what I'd want to know. Increase in the Lord or increase of trouble? You know, some people get married and think I'm going to have increase, and they do. They have an increase of problems in their life. And that's what Saul would have, uh, David would have had if he'd have married Mirab. Uh, there would have been a lot of increase of trouble in his life. But who does he marry? He ends up marrying Michal or Michael, and she is like the Lord. In fact, in the next chapter, we're going to find that Saul is going to station troops around uh, David and Michal's home so that he can slay David, and she finds out about it and lets him out a window. She comes out of his defense. Now, she does not always act like the Lord. When David brings the Ark of the Covenant back and he dances there before the Lord, she... Uh, costs David and of course he 
rebukes her sharply. But anyway, that's later in the life of David. Right now, she's going to be a great blessing in David's life. The daughter of Saul and the uh, son of Saul will be great blessings in David's life. So he says, I'm going to give him Merib. But it came to pass at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David. She was given unto Adriel to wife. This is an insult. In that day and time, when a father promised his daughter to a man, there was a, that was a binding contract. You know, today we don't take, uh, we don't take, uh, what's, I can't think of the name all of a sudden, the time before getting married, what's it called? Yeah, engagements, thank you. We don't take that maybe as seriously as they did in Bible times. Remember when Mary was with child? What was she there in that time? She was engaged to be the wife of Joseph, but engaged, it was almost as though they were already married. It hadn't been consummated yet. Remember what was Joseph going to do? He was going to put her away privately because he was a just man. Well, why, why couldn't he just walk away from her? Because there were laws and statutes in place to protect her and so here, and to protect him as well. So Saul does not give Merib to David. Why? I think it's one more attack against David. Maybe this will enrage David enough that David will rise up against me and tell me that I have insulted him, and in such I will be insulted, and now I have right to take David's life in the presence of the people that David even loves. But you know, David doesn't do that. It says, verse 20, and Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Now, do you think David says, well, this is wonderful, or Saul, this is wonderful. My daughter loves David. I'm going to have this wonderful son-in-law coming into my family. Now, I hope that the day comes that my two daughters, when they bring whatever guy home, and they tell me they're getting married, well, first of all, I hope he has the honor to come and ask me first, uh, but I hope that that thing can please me. I don't want to be grieved at the thought of my daughter getting married to somebody. I want to be rejoicing at that. I want to be pleased when I find out that my daughter is married. I want him to be a godly young man. I want him to be a faithful young man. I want him to be a young man that loves the Lord and loves the Lord's word and loves the truth and will be a dedicated member of the house of God all the days of his life and will provide for her and nourish her and uh, take care of her. That's what I want for my daughters. I'm already praying for that. Anyway, that's not why Saul is pleased, though. It's not because he's going to get a good son-in-law. It says in verse 21, I will give him her that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore, Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law and the one of the twain. So here, how many attacks have we already seen now? Just in the verses we've read. Twice a javelin is thrown. Then we find that he's made a captain, put out to battle, and hope he'll be killed there. Then he's told he can marry Merib. That doesn't come to pass once again. I think that's Saul's attempt to once again enrage David so that David will react. And David behaves wisely, and he does not. Now he's going to use his daughter as a snare. Can you imagine a father being that way? I mean, how horrible that a father would use his own child that way. I mean, I understand he hates David, but good Lord, I mean, think about it. He's going to use his own child as a snare for his son-in-law. But notice this. 
It says, Saul commanded his servant, saying, Commune with David secretly, and say, Behold, the king hath delight in thee, which is a lie. And all his servants love thee. Now therefore be the king's son-in-law. So they said exactly what Saul said. And David said, Seemeth it to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing that I am a poor man and lightly esteemed. So here is Saul building things up, lying. And notice David, though. David says, it's not a light thing to be the king's son. I'm a poor man, and I'm lightly esteemed. Well, no, David was not lightly esteemed. All Judah and Israel loved him. Jonathan loves him. Michal loves him. He's not lightly esteemed, but you know where he is lightly esteemed? In his own mind. He does not get bit too big for himself. He remembers uh, that he's just the dust of this world. And so he does not esteem himself more highly than he ought to think. And so he's thinking the way that he should. And the servants of Saul told him, saying, On this matter spake David. And so when Saul hears that, we find that Saul says, You know, Saul, what am I supposed to do here? I can't hardly trick this man in any way. Why? Because he behaves himself wisely. And you know, when you behave yourself wisely, you know the word of God and the Lord's with you. Number one, you can see the attacks coming. But even if you don't see the attack coming, when it arrives on the scene, you know what's right and what's wrong. And you don't do what's wrong. You do what's right. And that's what, I don't know if David sees all this coming or not, but I know this. He knows the word of God well enough that he just keeps doing what's right. And when you just keep doing what's right, you don't always have to worry about being caught up in a snare. It's when we do what's wrong, when we engage with the enemy and say what we shouldn't and do what we shouldn't, that all of a sudden then we find ourselves in trouble. But David, whether he recognized the assaults or not, he keeps doing what is right. So Saul, he's perplexed. What do I do? So it says, when they tell Saul this, that he says, Thus shall ye say to David, The king desired not any dowry. Yes, you're a poor man, that's fine, but you don't have to pay me anything. Except this, a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. For those of you that know what's under consideration here, and I'm not going to get too graphic, the Philistines were not going to just stand idly by for David to obtain what King Saul wanted. He's going to have to slay a hundred men in order to get what Saul is here saying. I mean, they weren't just going to offer this up freely. So notice what it says. When his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law, and the days were not expired. So David is told, all you've got to do, you don't have money, so that's fine. So here's what Saul will take instead. A hundred foreskins of Philistines. You know what David's saying? Well, I killed Goliath. I've been a captain over thousands, so I can handle that. So he goes and does more than that. Notice verse 27. Wherefore David arose and went, he and his men, and slew of the Philistines 200 men. So here we find that Saul wants 100. David, he doubles it. He says, I'll make sure there's 200. And so he slays 200 Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full tale to the king that he might be the king's son-in-law. And David gave him to call his daughter to wife. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. It all backfired. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David, and Saul became David's enemy continually. 
Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. So this man who says, I'm lightly esteemed. No, his name was much set by. He was greatly honored. So everything that Saul is trying keeps backfiring. It all falls flat. Twice he throws a javelin. I don't know how good he was, but David was better because he dodged out of the way twice. Then he says, well, I'll make him a captain over thousands, and that'll put him out at the forefront of the battle. That'll kill him. That doesn't work. Well, I'll give him my daughter, and then I'm going to pull the rug out from under him and not give him the daughter, and he'll certainly insult me, and, and then I can put him to death for that. No, David doesn't even get insulted, or at least if, if he was, he doesn't say anything. Because then even when Michal is promised to him, he says, wait a minute, it's not a light thing to be the son, king's son-in-law. I'm just a poor man, and I'm lightly esteemed. I don't want to be the king's son-in-law. I, I don't have the wherewithal to do that. And all the time, Saul is seeking an opportunity against this man. But because this man continues to behave more wisely, you would think that Saul would say, you know what, the Lord is with him. The Lord's not with me. I need to just hang it up. It's not going to work. My attempts are going to continue to be futile. I'm just not going to be able to conquer this man, so I just need to let, leave it alone. But here's the problem. Number one, he's got an evil spirit troubling him, and jealousy and envy are roots that grow into mighty trees that consume a man or woman to the point that all reason and logic leave their minds. And that's what happens here for Saul. All reason is gone. I mean, he sees the Lord's with him. He doesn't care. He sees that he's behaving wisely. He doesn't care. He sees that his name is much set by. He still does not care. But he is going to change his tactics. All that he's tried in this chapter hasn't worked. So he's going to try to ambush him in the next chapter. And that's not going to work. And then he's going to begin to pursue him. David is going to spend about 20 years in exile from the palace an exile from the king, and always having to watch his step. As he would tell Jonathan, I believe it's in chapter 26, he says, there's just a step between me and death. And he means by that, I, I never know that I could step around a rock or step around a tree and there's Saul right there, and my life is over. As I pointed out a few weeks ago, the same is true for you and I. There's only a step between us and death. One heartbeat, one breath, one step, and we could be out of this world in the world to come. Life is fragile. We don't often think that it is, especially when we're younger. We think we're invincible and we're going to live forever, and then reality begins to set in. Our bodies start falling apart. Our hearing goes, our hair goes, or turns gray if it stays. Our eyesight goes, our teeth leave. I mean, everything, our nervous system, it all starts falling apart, and we begin to realize we're not long for this place. And there's just a step between us. But there's also, let's make this application before I close. You and I could make a misstep in our disciple. What is a disciple? One who's a follower of Jesus. And there's really a step between us and the death of our discipleship and our life in discipleship. I could take one wrong step and commit some egregious sin that would disqualify me from the ministry of the gospel 
and would require my removal from the house of the Lord Jesus Christ and cast me out into Satan's world. There's one step between you and your, and your death of walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I recognize as Brother Jonathan has spoke to us this morning that there's forgiveness with the Lord that he may be feared as David would say. And there is forgiveness with the Lord. But there's also continual consequences for our behavior. And I could act in such a way that the life that I now live in the Lord Jesus Christ would be severed forever. I might be able to come in and sit on the back row and maybe once again be a member of the Lord's church if I could prove uh, my penitence and my repentance. Uh, but there might be an occasion that I would do something so egregious that it would be wrong for me to ever occupy the pulpit before God's people again. That I should never speak in the name of the Lord again. That I should just come in and quietly uh, take my place to worship. I don't want to take that false step. David, I think when he, obviously when he says that, he knows that just one wrong move and King Saul take my life. But one wrong move by me or you and Satan will be right there to use that against us, to try and devour us. So again, we have a Saul in our life. His name is Satan. He will use every tactic he can. He'll try to misquote the word of God to you to get you off course that way. And like with Eve, she didn't know the word of God well enough. And it got her tripped up. If that won't work, he'll use the sin that does so easily beset you and tempt you into that. If that doesn't work, he will bring enemies against you to attack you. Throw javelins at you. Bring people into your life to be a snare. Uh, there's many things that Satan will do to try to destroy your life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And obviously we're talking about our life here in this world. Once again, Romans 8 makes it clear that neither death nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And thank God that's the eternal truth for the child of God. But I want to live all my days as a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I've got to be careful how I walk. So I need to walk so that the Lord's with me. And I need to behave myself wisely so that Satan has no advantage against me. That takes constant vigilance of how I think, how I speak, and where I go. And that's true for us all. We've got to be careful how we think, how we feel, where we go, who we're with. There's a lot of things to pay attention to. I mean, a lot of people are walking around in this world clueless. You know, they're just not paying attention. I see them on the road when I'm driving, and sometimes I'm one of them. <laughs> uh, but it's amazing how many people in this world are just walking around aimlessly. They're shiftless. They're not paying attention. And I'm talking about spiritually here. They are not recognizing that Satan is always looking for an advantage. And he knows where the chinks in our armor are. And he will take advantage of any little opportunity that we give him. Thankfully, up to this point, David behaved himself. Now, David's going to make mistakes going forward. Now, let me tell you this. And when you're under constant assault, you're going to make some missteps. That's just reality. You're going to be under pressure. When Satan is bearing down against you, you're going to make mistakes. David did. If David, as good as he was, a man after God's own heart, made mistakes, you're going to make them as well. But you know what you do when you make them? You confess them to God. Behave yourself wisely even when you err. 
and come back to the Lord and confess it and repent of it and move forward in service with God uh, and behave yourself wisely even when you do wrong. Don't say, well, I'll cover it up. No, because Satan will use that uh, fact that you covered up. How many times in politics is the saying is, it's not the crime that was the problem, it was the cover-up. Don't try to cover up, confess it to God immediately. What about King David when he tried to cover up with Bathsheba? Did God allow it to be covered up? No. What would have happened if he and Bathsheba sinned and he went directly to God and confessed it? I think that whole matter would have been totally different. But he covered it up. Don't cover it up. Confess it to God. Behave wisely even when you do wrong. Because you're going to do wrong and I'm going to do wrong. When you do and as soon as you recognize it. I mean in the moment you see it. Behave yourself wisely. Let the Lord be with you. Confess it to him. And turn. Repent. Don't do it again. And don't give him... I mean, Satan, our Saul, an advantage against us, because I promise you, he'll use every advantage he can get. He's got advantage enough. We have the old Adamic nature, and that's all the advantage he needs. Don't give him any additional. I promise you, he'll use it. David here, he behaves himself wisely, and the Lord is with him. And those two things combined were a mighty arsenal against Saul's attempts. And I promise you, if you will walk with the Lord... And you will behave yourself wisely. Seek his wisdom by reading his word and daily communing with him. Then you are well fortified against the wicked one who will try everything he can to destroy him. May God bless you today.